0: the future growth is going to come from renewable energy. And I think that is a recognition that people have now come to. This is a new realization. And it's still dawning on people that, oh my God, the whole energy market, the whole paradigm of energy has changed.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us. We want to understand from you on Renew uh, Faber because what you built is and I've been told that it is one of the largest clean tech firm in the country. And and and, and in India, while we are seeing a lot of conversations around clean tech. There's a lot that needs to be done. And you as an entrepreneur, you have uh, built a large business in a category, which is not, if I may say so, still a sexy category. <laughs> and and you've raised a lot of money. So tell us, tell us Sumant, about uh, Renew Power and, and, and what got you to start this?
0: Well, you know, it's a long story and uh, but I'll, I'll try to keep it a little bit to the point. Uh, So I had always wanted to uh, do something entrepreneurial at some point in my life. It was just a question of finding the right opportunity. And, uh, you know, in 2008, I started working in a company called uh, Mm Suzlon, which used to manufacture wind turbines. And uh, that is actually what introduced me to the sector of climate change. And partly the reason I chose to start working there was because I felt that climate change was an important issue. And would become very critical for us going forward, and therefore it seemed like a good area in which to get started. And so I joined uh, Suzlan from that perspective, and then um, you know within about a couple of year year and a half or so, um, I saw that there was an opportunity for companies to set up wind turbines, own them, operate them, and sell the power to the distribution companies in India. Mm-hmm. So, Susan used to manufacture the wind turbines and then sell them to end customers. And so, there was an opportunity to actually become one of the end customers and then sell the power that was generated from these wind turbines to end customers. But obviously, you know, it's a very capital intensive business because you actually have to buy the wind turbine and mm-hmm. acquire the land and then, you know, uh, sell the power. And of course, I didn't have money of my own of that amount that was required because each megawatt that we set up requires about a million dollars of investment, which is a, you know, a pretty large amount of money. Mm. And so therefore, um, uh, I went looking to raise capital and I went to many private equity guys. And fortunately, I was able to raise $200 million from Goldman Sachs, um, which, as you know, is the premier investment bank in the U.S. Yeah. And that is really what got, us, you know, got me started on this journey in right earnest. Uh, and then ever since then, that was about nine years ago now. So about in those nine years since then, we've made a lot of progress, frankly. We've now got about five and a half thousand megawatts of total installed capacity of renewables and renewable energy, which is operating right now. And we uh, are building out another 4,000 megawatts in the next couple of years. That will be also up and running. And what that means is that we as a company today already generate about 1% of India's total electricity production. So... Renewables, for example, accounts for about 10% of India's total electricity production, and we account for 10% of the, the renewable market share. So we are accounting for 1% of total energy. Um, and what that means is that we also help mitigate about half a percent of India's carbon emissions. That might have otherwise happened, but now does not happen because we are now generating this power from clean sources. So that's, that's really been our journey, of course, because as I said earlier, it's a capital intensive sector. Therefore, we've had to raise a ton of capital. To, um, to finance the installation of both wind and solar plants and so on. And now it's become really, really an exciting business because, see, when we started off, it was a niche business. It was something that needed help from the government, policy making to survive. It was more expensive than other forms of power. But now renewables is the heart of growth in the energy requirements going forward. And it's really become mainstream, not just in India, but everywhere in the world. And so now all the future growth is going to come from renewable energy. And I think that is a recognition that people have now come to. And that is why I wrote this book because this is a new realization and it's still dawning on people that, Oh my God, the whole energy market, the whole paradigm of energy has changed earlier in our minds. It used to be coal-based power. When we thought Mm. of electricity, we thought of coal, huge, big thermal plants and, you know, coal mining and lots of, Lots of, uh, you know, polluting uh, things have going into the atmosphere. But now it's no longer that. Now it's these quietly working wind turbines. It's just uh, quietly sitting on the ground solar panels that just take the sun's rays and convert it into electricity. So it's a whole
1: different paradigm now. Do you think that recognition and acknowledgement is changing? Is accelerating the change? Or do you think that it's still largely a rhetoric? Because we've not seen, you know, Renew Power to me. That's why I wanted to have this conversation Mm -hmm. because you've somewhere gone ahead and built it where we've seen a lot of companies start, have the intent in this space, but fizzle out because, and they talk about various challenges that still exist. So I just want to understand that as a country in India, what are some of the strides that we've taken and what are some of the things that we need to do? So,
0: you know, renewable energy itself, you know, you asked the question about, is it rhetoric or is it reality? And uh, what is is the driving factor here? And I would say that, you know, uh, this is now reality. Mm. And the reason is that, forget about the pollution aspect, forget about everything else. On a pure commercial basis, renewable energy today is 30 to 50% cheaper than coal-based power. Mm. And because it is cheaper, therefore, mm. people will want to buy this energy. Why should they buy anything else if they can use cheaper power, right? And so that is going to become the single biggest driver for growth of renewable energy going forward. Now, in the last 10 years, not in the last 10 years, let's say leading up to 2018, that was not the case. Till mm. 2018, you could still argue, oh, renewables, thermal, it's all the same. Maybe renewables are still like, slightly more expensive, et cetera. But today you can't make that argument. You know, the cost of generating one kil- unit of solar power is about 2.5 rupees.
1: Mm-hmm. That of
0: wind is about 3.25 rupees. Mm-hmm. Coal is 5 rupees. So mm-hmm. the differences are stark, right? And so that is why now I think people have come to realize that this is no longer, no longer rhetoric. Uh, you know, it, it does not require to be subsidized. This is now what is going to drive our capacity addition in the electricity sector for many decades to come. And the most incredible part, Shadda, is that at this point in time, there is continued technology evolution happening in both wind energy and solar energy. And therefore, the costs of wind and solar are going to keep going down. Mm-hmm. And therefore, as we go forward, the logic for having more wind and more solar is just going to keep increasing. And to me, this is one of the big, big, big changes that is happening. Yes. You know, and this is a realization that now policymakers and even the layperson is now coming to realize that, in fact, this is, this is what is happening. And again, coming back, that's why I wrote the book, because I wanted to really uh, bust a lot of myths, talk, you know, clarify a lot of issues and really show people the fact that the electricity sector is on the cusp of massive change and the past is not a predictor of the future. In fact, the future is going to be vastly different. And by the way, it also fortunately coincides with our climate change
1: imperative. That it, yeah. it is a good solution for climate change as well. Jina, you know, I want to bring your book because this is a book which everyone should get hold of, Fossil Free, which Sumant has written. And and then and, and for me, I, I browsed, I have not read it uh, completely, which I will. But this to me, actually, like you said, is very real. (laughs) Otherwise, you know, there's so many scattered conversations, but it's not mainstream. And this book is simple, but very, very powerful in terms of understanding the world that we are in and the world we will be living in. So, man, tell us, you know, tell us some of the uh, tenets or some of the things that you've written, like, you know, because you're talking about a fossil-free world. What will it take for us to get there?
0: It'll take a fair bit of time, we're not gonna get there immediately. And the reason is the following, that we have an an electricity system that was created and set up over a hundred years. And it is powered primarily by coal-based power or gas-based power in some of the Western countries, not so much in India. Those investments that have just been made, uh, a lot of those investments have just been made. Those, you know, a new coal power plant is gonna keep running for 25, 30, 40 years. Now, you can't wish that away. You can't wish away the fact that you have you know, a massive coal mining industry and there are millions and millions of jobs and people that depend on that industry. Um, you can't wish away the fact that today coal accounts for 65% of India's power generation. You can't replace that overnight, right? Yeah. And so therefore, the reality is that coal-based generation is going to continue to be there for many decades. Um, but over time, India's electricity uh, system is going to undergo a change because you know all the future growth that is going to happen will happen from renewable energy sources. Now it will happen very little from coal. Nobody wants to invest in coal any longer. No debt, uh, com- no debt uh, financier wants to provide financing for coal-based power because everybody knows that these are going to be dead investments very soon. And so, but the ones that have already been made, those of course will carry on operating. So all future investments, therefore, in electricity generation will happen in renewable energy. And so as you look at the next 12 to 15 years in India, you will see that we are going to double the amount of power consumption in the country. Now, if today we consume, and I'll just throw some numbers at you, uh, uh, today we consume as a a country 1.4 trillion units of electricity. Mm. In the next 12 to 14 years, we'll consume another 1.4 trillion units additional. To the 1.4 that we have right now. But this next 1.4 trillion units will come mostly from renewable energy sources. It will not come from coal. And so to that extent, the whole power sector is going to flip. But even at the end of the 12 to 15 years, coal will will still account for 50% of total power generation. Renewables will account for only about 35%. And so even after 2030, till 2040, till 2050, you will continue to have... Very fundamentally large amounts of growth in the renewable energy space. And if you ask me honestly, I think it'll take at least another 20 to 30 years for us to get out of fossil fuels from the electricity generation side. But then there are many other sectors in which it's harder to get rid of fossil fuels. For example, mobility, our cars, our planes, our ships, right? trucks, buses, our, our mass transportation, all of that, uh, you know, for that to convert, again, look at the stock of cars out there, the yeah. internal combustion engine cars, ICE cars. Again, for us to replace those will take many, many, many decades. It won't happen again easily because you know, these are new industries that have to be created. Today, if there are global manufacturing capacity of cars, ICE cars is, let's say, I don't even know how much the exact number is, but let's say it's 20 or 30 million cars being produced every year. Today, electric cars are only about a million cars, maybe. So it'll take a lot of time to ramp up that capacity to the 30, 40 million cars that we are looking that we need to replace every year from the petrol side. Similarly, on the power side as well, right? So all of these transitions will take a lot of time to play out. But, you know, and there are two parts to it. One, replacement. First is, you know, meeting future growth. Mm. That itself will take a lot of time. And then okay. the second part is going to be to replace the legacy systems. So both of those are going to lead to significant opportunities for growth for all non-fossil fuel-based business models, whether it's electric vehicles, whether it is renewable energy companies, uh, whether it is uh, manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, solar modules, uh, whatever else it might be. So it is, it is going to be a massive, massive growth opportunity for any young person looking to make a career I would say this is gonna be tremendous. This is gonna be a tremendous opportunity for growth for the next 30 to 40 years. And, uh, but it'll take that much time, at least, to get fossil fuels out of our system.
1: You know, to create more companies like yours and different companies and companies in this sector out of our country, you know, I feel that the role of policy the role of different stakeholders, investors, venture capitalists, everyone has to play a part. Where do you see us in context to the ecosystem around clean tech?
0: So, you know, I think that to be very honest with you, I'm quite pleased with the way the government of India has made policy in our sector so far. Hmm. Of course, there are several areas where it could have been better. But I would say by and large, we've taken a very proactive stance as a country in the area of renewable energy. you know, this whole thing was started off uh, around 2007, 2008, uh, when the, you know, when the UPA government was there. And then in 2014, this current government came in and totally reset the ambitions to a much, much higher level. Mm. And that is a very, very bold decision on their part, given the fact that at that time, renewables are still more expensive. Mm. And because this was a really a personal ambition in a sense of the prime minister, therefore, the whole government in a way, rallied around the targets that had been set. And this is very non-India-like behavior. Usually what happens is, let's say, a country like China would set an enormous target and then do their best to get there. Uh, It's the first time I saw it happening in India where the government of India set a massive target and then moved heaven and earth to get to that level. And now, so so in 2015, a target was set of 175,000 megawatts of renewable energy to be set up by 2022. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to get quite close to it. At that time, the total installed capacity was 25,000 megawatts. So there's 7x in seven years, which is a pretty significant target. And now in 2020, the prime minister set a target in 2030 of 450,000 megawatts of renewable energy, which is again, today we have about 80 to 90 gigawatts to set a target of 450 gigawatts is again a 5, 6x in the next 10 years, but of a much, much higher base. So I think very bold thinking on their part. And not just that, the very critical thing is that in the climate change conversations, right? India is not, a, India is not responsible for a lot of the carbon that sits in the atmosphere. Right? We haven't even used on a per capita basis what we could have used. It's all been put in there by the Western world in some ways and now by China increasingly. So we could have said, look, this problem is not of our creation. Don't look to us for solutions. You know, You guys find the solutions. Meanwhile, don't come running to me Because you guys have grown in a carbon intensive way. Now it's our turn to grow. We're going to follow the same way of growth, right? And nobody could have said anything to India at that point. But the reality is India took a very, very proactive view and a very, very, I think, positive view of saying, you know what, doesn't matter. We're all on this together. And I think at some point, at some level, they had a realization that this could become a really good business opportunity as well in the future. And that's why they pushed it hard. And that is why India is now one of the top three or four countries in the world as far as renewable energy installations are concerned. And I have no doubt in my mind that in the next 10 to 15 years, we'll be certainly in the top three with, the chi- with China and the U.S. And that means India is going to have a massive market, massive growth opportunity, and that's why massive job creation. And, you know, it's, it's really one of those sectors that we can use as a country, the opportunity of uh, using this as a sector to, to really take the lead globally. So yeah. I think the government, at least as far as the ecosystem is concerned, has done a terrific job.
1: If you had to say, you know, the way you built renew power and the way you're growing it, what are some of the things that you see have worked for you where you've been able to scale the company to where it is? Of course, you mentioned about it being a capital intensive space. But is it a play of capital or there are many different things? And what are those things that have worked for you?
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thank. That's a terrific question. Um, you know, the, the journey has been a long one. It's been, it's been 10 years that I've been at it. Um, of course, I intend to be at it for many more years to come as well. But there's been a lot of learning for me in the 10 years. And, uh, you know, for example, when I started off, you know, this is an infrastructure sector. You know, that's a clean sector. It's renewable energy. Ultimately, it's about a hard infrastructure sector. Where you have to go to the back of beyond, you have to build roads there. You know, you have to take this heavy machinery there. You have to get these massive, massive cranes. Uh, you have to acquire land. You have to build transmission lines. You have to dig the earth. Um, you know, local people come and create problems for you because you know why not? After all, it's it's a way for them to make some you know create some value for themselves. Um, local elements will always show up and create problems because why not? You know, it's, it's their turf, it's their territory. So they'll yeah. always create some problems. And, so, and then you have to get enormous numbers of approvals from state government, central government, you know, connecting to the grid. So all of those are tremendous problems that you have to deal with in the Indian context. And frankly, in the beginning, when we started, I wasn't 100% sure that we could deal with all of that, that we could actually get all of this done. But, you know, because we were a little bit naive, because we were maybe innocent, we just jumped into it. And then all these problems came up and we just sorted them out and solved them one after the other with good intent and uh, and, and and honesty of purpose. And you know what? Fortunately, it worked out. Mm. And uh, so, you know, it allowed us to create a company that is not, I shouldn't even say this actually, but we're not a traditional Indian company in the sense, uh, a traditional Indian infrastructure company and whatever all of that connotes. Um, I I think we're a company where we've kept a very high degree of uh, ethics in our hearts and we've moved forward with a very high degree of integrity and made sure that whatever we've done has been, you know, as above board as one could have absolutely done. And therefore my intent right from day one was never just to create a clean energy company but also to create a clean company. Mm. And so whenever it comes time for me to hang up my boots, you know, the biggest achievement for me, Shraddha is actually going to be the fact that we got this done against all odds, you know, in, in, in a manner that I think, uh, disproved a lot of people or belied a lot of people's belief about how, uh, things could only get done in India. And, and to me, that's a very big, uh, it's it's actually a very big thing. And I I hope that a lot of people learn from that. Because, you know, if you see entrepreneurship in India, most people go into the tech space, e-commerce and, you know, technology and so on. Hardly anybody gets into entrepreneurship in hardcore, real economy kind of sectors because of the perceived difficulties. But I think I want to prove that, you know, as long as you go in there with the right mindset, and just solve the problems as they arise, you can get it done. And so therefore, this is not a, it's not an area that is out of bounds. So that is one issue. The second is capital raising, which you talked about. Now, again, capital, very critical. You know, our company over this last uh, seven, eight years, we've raised almost $6 billion of capital, debt and equity both put together. So if you look at how much money companies have raised in the last few years, I would say we are probably among the highest yeah. in terms of capital raising. Uh, It's only that a lot of our capital can come from debt because we have cash flow generating assets. And so therefore, we are able to take debt to service them, to service these assets. Um, Now, uh, capital raising, I found, was also helped by having this attitude of being a clean company. Because as investors came and looked for opportunities to invest where they could trust the promoter or trust the entrepreneur involved, you know, and they did diligence on us, uh, you know, that came through very clearly in our case. And so therefore that made it comfortable for people to invest in us and put money in us. And, and that therefore had its own uh, concomitant benefit over time, which was a nice little side benefit, but, but uh, it was something that I was doing because it was the right thing to do. But I'm glad that people also thought, uh, you know, to, uh, to invest in us over a period of time. And then I think the last thing I would say is that it's very important to meet your, commitments. If you have committed to your capital providers that you're going to deliver a certain project at a certain time and a certain cost, and that project is going to perform over years, over many years in a certain manner, and therefore they're going to make certain returns out of it, then you have to very well make sure that it does that. Mm. Because you you can do everything, you can be as ethical as you want, but if you don't deliver commercial returns to people, you don't deliver to them what you've promised to them, then the money is just going to dry up. Yeah. And so therefore you have to perform. There is no shortcut. There is no excuse. There is no other way around. You have to perform. And if you perform consistently over a long period of time, people develop confidence. And that's how you get more capital. So and that's been, that's, that's, that's very critical.
1: Just for referencing for a lot of entrepreneurs who will be watching this, I again want to, you know, while you raised that, I want to ask you about the, the, Institutional investors, like you said, you've got money from Goldman Sachs, and I read recently you've also raised $325 million. Uh, yeah,
0: that, uh, is a debt that is a debt from bond investors. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So just want to get a sense of, you know, what do you see the, the investor community rising to invest in this space?
0: I'm absolutely sure it will. Hmm. Now, you know, Indian investors are still a little bit burnt in the power sector because they had invested a lot in the thermal sector earlier, mm. and a lot of those thermal sector investments went south because mm. a lot of the companies that had invested earlier. You know, their coal allocations got cancelled, uh, so their fuel you know supplies just went out. A uh, lot of them didn't have PPAs in place, you know, uh, power purchase agreements on the basis of which they could sell the power, and so they couldn't even sell the power. And so a lot of the lending that had happened and a lot of the people who had invested in the sector actually lost a ton of money. Hmm. And so therefore, when uh, people looked at investing in the renewable energy sector, they said, you know, ultimately, we are part of the power sector. And so therefore, you know, given their past history with the Indian power sector investments, that kind of caused them to pause. So I think that's particularly relevant for the public markets. I think the private market investors, people who are like the Goldman Sachs of the world, the pension funds, the sovereign wealth funds, the insurance companies, I think they have been smart enough to be able to do their diligence and uh, come up with the right thesis around why investing in renewable energy makes sense. And so therefore, if you look at investments in Indian renewables so far, I would say 70%, 75% or 80% perhaps even of investments have come from foreign private equity guys, insurance companies, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds. Okay. Uh, Now, there yet are not really a lot of listed companies in the space, but in the conversation that I have with public market investors, they are still dealing with that baggage and that overhang of the past when they had this bad experience. Now, maybe it'll change over time, and I'm sure it will change over time. But I think, you know, it'll take a little bit of time. Now, one other thing, which is of course uh, relevant for us, is that we are uh, rightfully a little bit a part of the power sector. So when we are selling our power, we are selling it to distribution companies. Those distribution companies are owned by state governments of India. And those state governments of India, unfortunately, price the power and run these distribution companies, largely to serve their political interests and not really as commercial entities. And therefore, these distribution companies are forever struggling with cash flow issues. Mm. And therefore, for them to pay us is always, you know, they're always under pressure. And so that's, that's certainly an area that is a big overhang on our sector still. And it's an area that the central government is trying to correct very rapidly as best as possible. But unfortunately, this, this is an issue that is sitting in the hands of the state governments. So unless the state governments really mature and wise up and and really take a bigger view on this issue, you know, uh, this is going to continue to be a problem.
1: You know, but I I think one of the most uh, powerful thing, new thing that I learned, because I I was also having the mindset that uh, renewable is still more expensive. And then today you said that now it has become cheaper. So the cheaper it gets, the economics comes in place and then everyone actually aligns more or less.
0: That's right. That's right. So I think the only real disadvantage with renewables today is that, you know, the, the solar energy is generated when the sun shines and not at night. And uh, wind energy is generated when the wind blows and you can't control these things. And so therefore, you know, it's a little bit out of your control when the power generation happens. Whereas the requirement for power is fixed and based on a certain time of day and there's a certain load pattern. So how do you, you know, sort of marry the, power that is generated, which is not within your control, with the demand side, which is fixed. Um, and so that is where you are now increasingly having solutions showing up, which are uh, allowing us to manage the intermittency of renewables. Mm. Now there is a cost associated with that. So on a pure generation basis, renewables is far cheaper than coal-based power. But now what is increasingly happening is that even on, a, on, on the intermittency managed basis, Renewables is turning out to be cheaper than coal. Hmm. And that I think is sort of the next, sort of that is the transition phase that we're in right now, which is that different levels of intermittency management will have different costs. And so therefore, are you truly cheaper? Are you not cheaper? You know, In what form are you cheaper? How do you manage the grid? So those are the things that are playing out right now. But I have, again, no doubt in my mind that two, three years later, with cost of batteries coming down, cost of generation of renewables coming down, you know, again, that will also be entirely proven that on a fully managed basis, renewables, you know, is cheaper than coal.
1: You know, Suman, talking to you, one is very, very clear, uh, is that while there is the good, and we all realize in pandemic, the, the realization of sustainability, but that sustainability also makes commercial sense, and and, and this will exactly. be a sector which... They'll, you know? This will be tomorrow's, if I may say so, for the lack of better word, this will be the, the next consumer internet valuation-based businesses will come from here. Yeah. Yeah, no, look,
0: you're, you're absolutely right. And this is going to be a sector that is going to be the biggest in the infrastructure space. And it is going to require, um, you know, just in India, over the next 10 years, at least a half a trillion dollars worth of investment. So $500 billion of investment is going to be required in this sector. And uh, it's not apparent to me where that is going to come from and which are the companies that are going to raise this money, which are the companies that are going to invest this, you know, create this capacity on the ground. So to me, it's it's a it's a phenomenal opportunity uh, that is going to unfold over the next 10 to 50 years. And, um, and because of these misconceptions, you know, the reason I wrote this book is because of these misconceptions, because the technology evolution is so fast in our sector that, you know, a lot of people are not really obviously because if you're not from the sector, then you're not going to be reading about it all the time. And so, really, the, I've written the book with a with a view to try to educate people and uh, get them to understand the reality and try to do it in a way where it's not too technical. Although, yeah, of course, it's very hard not to be technical beyond a point, but I've tried to make it as reader friendly as possible. And I've also talked about the kinds of opportunities that will be thrown up in the different parts of. Uh, this uh, phenomenal revolution or call it the energy transition that is upon us at
1: this point. I want mm-hmm. to ask you, now that you you are a leader in your category and, and, and you've built this company over the last 10 years, are you looking at uh, investing, engaging with young startups in, in this category? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely we are. You know, Subhanth, so yeah. I was thinking it yeah. could be fossil free. The accelerator in Free Fund. It's a great name, by the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank continue. you. Thank you. Uh, no, no. As I said, we are because I think technology is an incredibly important part of our sector, and therefore we have to encourage companies that are coming out with new technologies uh, and invest in them. And as a market leader, it's our responsibility to do to do that as well. And uh, therefore, we will be keeping aside some small amount of money to invest in you know companies of that nature. We've actually just acquired a uh, AI digital company recently called Climate Connect uh, with a view to helping them scale up. And what they do is they develop uh, software algorithms for uh, the utilities, for the distribution companies to manage their demand supply you know, mm-hmm. imbalances, which I talked about earlier, and also helping uh, companies like ours uh, manage their assets better. Because you know, if you can get a few percentage points of extra performance out of our assets, and that's all straight money that goes to the bottom line. So this company is trying to do that. So we said, you know, this is an important area. We must, uh, we must encourage it a little bit more. And so, yeah, absolutely, we're going to be looking at companies in, in various uh, spaces linked to what we are doing.
1: Yeah. Last question before we let you go. Uh, what's the big vision? What's the big dream that you are chasing, building with Renew Power?
0: So the big vision that I'm building uh, is that, you know, I want Renew to be one of the biggest companies in the world. Mm. And, uh, and there is no reason for us not to aspire for that. The reason is that India is going to be one of the biggest markets in the world. You know, if, if India is one of the top three markets in the world, and we are one of the top two or three companies in India, why should we not be a top 10 company in the world? right? And despite the fact that large oil and gas companies are going to come into our space, despite the fact that there are large European companies that are already operating in our space, I think we have the advantage of being in India, which I think in our sector is going to be important. We have the advantage of being a very low cost organization, right? Just because India is a very, very competitive country and we have really, really good people and we have the ambition to grow. So why should we not aspire to be one of the biggest companies (laughs) in the world?
1: Why not? Why not? Thank you. Thank you, Suman. Very inspiring. All the very best. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Shraddha. Thank you so much for having me on your show.